it is uh, really an honor to always break the word and open up the word. But I do have to say, just because I'm, I'm going to have to get back at him a little bit after all this that he dig, dishes out. Uh, <laughs> he gave me this parable. So, you know, we've been doing a, ser- a series on the parables of Jesus. And this here, this parable he gave me and I discovered, you know, what it was when he said, oh, you're going to do the parable. I'm like, what parable? Oh, I'll let you know. Week by week, he gives, I'll let you know. So then he tells me, I'm like, Seriously, the shortest of all parables, like I think there's 15 words in this parable, two sentences, and I'm supposed to come up and I'm like, wait, what? Darcy got like a page, two pages of a parable that she got to exegete and show off. And no, she did a great job. But honestly, I'm like, what am I going to get? And he said, oh, there's a lot in that one, those 10 words. And I said, okay, I get it. You are concerned that I'm going to go over time and you really want to give me the shortest thing you can find because you know I talk too much. So that was like in the back of my head. I thought, I got to keep this thing short. I'm already running out of time. I feel like, you know, but I, um, I truly, truly, uh, first of all, I want to honor all the women of the house because my passion is um, really one of my, as Bob said, I have a lot of things I do. I, we have eight chicks in the bathtub and they're there because we have a cat and cats are, you know, notorious for catching little baby chicks. So they're raising up and they're almost ready to graduate out to the chicken coop. But meanwhile, he hates that there's chickens. He has, I think he has a secret fear that one's going to jump out at him while he's going to the bathroom. So don't think about that, but that's really the, the heart of the matter there. Um, that's a visual that just, you don't want to start with. Uh, I really want to start with this visual, which is, um, he did bring up the shovel. Thank you. We're going to talk today about the parable of the hidden treasure. And I was referring to women. I, um, one of my great passions is for women to find their, um, not only, what God has put in them, but what they don't even believe about themselves that God has put in them. Because we all, um, we can, you know, hear different skills and talents we might have, but until you discover what Jesus is in you and what he's placed in you, I don't think you get a full picture of what God has potentially for you. So uh, in Women Mentoring Women, that's what we are all about, which is like coming up on the 20th for single moms. I want to plug that too to come on out. But we have a, um, we have this amazing um, thing that in Christianity, and if you are here today, because you came because your mom, you know, begged you or asked you to come uh, and you don't know about this treasure that you have, or maybe you've been a Christian for 50 years and you're still trying to figure out what is it in me? Uh, This is kind of where we're going to go today. And and in this parable, we're going to talk about what is our treasure? What is the treasure? Um, My, uh, my husband loves, loves to uh, do road trips. And as he told you, we just did this huge road trip and which involved a lot of um, driving and thank God for GPS and um, map quest and um, Google maps. Cause otherwise it could have been a real fight. Uh, we, we tend to not use the word fight and we, we have just, you know, different ways of d- doing things like most 
people. Um, but we do it very verbally the way we like express, uh, our differences. So I'm pulling out a map on my map quest. So we thought, you know, the phone's supposed to solve that, but lo and behold, our two phones at the same time are giving us different directions. So we still, we still fight over directions. And so we're, we're getting lost in, um, not really lost. He had this very well planned out vacation, but Nevada has some really long stretches. Who knew you could drive 500 miles and not find a single person, a lot of cows and a few rabbits, but um, there was nobody for miles. And we were kind of nervous about our gas issues, but miles and miles of barren land. Um, but one of the things that happened on that vacation is we saw a lot of ground. We saw a lot of rocks and we saw, a, like he said before, I love Yes, I love science and I do love geology. I'm a biology teacher, but I love, I love the cool things that are found in rocks. So we're going to get into that just here in a minute, but our, um, parable, let's, let's just open with the parable, um, of the hidden treasure. And it's found in Matthew 13, verse 44. And you can read along. I'm reading from the NIV and, uh, there is uh, a man, and we're going to break this down into details. The kingdom of heaven. Jesus always started these parables with a reference and a little explanation so you know where he's going with this. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and he sold all he had and he bought that field. And again, that's Matthew 13, 44. Shortest parable, I think. <laughs> it's okay. But one of the things that um, happened in this um, little parable is, again, and we've talked about this before, is a very natural depiction of life as the people in that day 2,000 years ago would totally understand it. But maybe you don't understand it because maybe you've never been walking in a field. I, I find that hard to believe, but everyone should know what a field looks like, right? <laughs> and you can visualize this, but um, part of um, what Jesus was doing, and just really quick review, is um, he taught in parable parables, and we've covered this before, is that it was a teaching technique, very popular in that day, a rabbinical uh, way. And I think even I can imagine mothers telling their children's stories. And how many of you mothers have ever said stuff to your kids like, if you swallow your gum, it's going to turn into a giant ball in your stomach and keep collecting and collecting. And like one day you're going to get so sick. And so, or stuff, you know, you just make it up on the spot, but you give them this visual gruesome depiction. You know, if you keep jumping off the bed one day, you know, you're going to crack your head and we're going to all go, you know, just, you give them these threats, these kind of picture, these little you know, parables in a way, a story of what might happen to protect them, to teach them lessons, right? So we all do it. But in those days, there was no really very uncommon to have books. Um, and they didn't have um, even like we love post. How many of you use post-it notes and put like notes of what you are needing to remember or do or someone to call? Who puts like post-it notes? Do anybody, does anybody put post-it notes like on your bathroom mirror? 
Anyone here? Oh, we got a few. I never really got into that. Um, my bathroom obviously is full of chickens, so who would even notice? But I, um, I do love post-it notes. They didn't have post-it notes, and I can't imagine a culture without post-it notes. But they needed a way to stick have sticky information, information that would stay with you and remind you over and over. So word pictures, parables, and uh, the truths of the day were communicated in these stories. Also, it, it gives us curiosity to ask more, like what's the rest of that story, right? And it also gave the unspiritual, Jesus was very clear about this, um, that it kept the unspiritual, the ungodly from understanding a truth and maybe twisting, twisting it into something it was not meant to be. And then um, it also was meant to reveal uh, what the the prophets had talked about in the Old Testament to unwrap God's kingdom on earth and what this was coming and how this was going to look. So Jesus, and there's more, but this is a quick review of why we, uh, if you, in case you missed the last several weeks, but what do, here's a question for you now, we're going to talk about this field. So what do people dig for? And I, this is audience participation. You may shout out right now, uh, and I'll repeat that for those that are, maybe if we're recording, I don't know. But if you can tell me, what do people dig for? Ooh, treasure. Awesome answer. What? Someone else said treasure, but what else? Water. They had to dig wells in those days. Water. Awesome. I heard lots of water. Did I hear someone say bones? Oh, we got like paleontologists out there. Cool. I saw a very, very uh, there is a lot of paleontology through the area of the desert we were driving. And I'd see a sign. I'm like, Bob, pull over. And he's done this before in, in Utah where we saw a sign to a paleontology site. And we literally went 200 miles out of our way. And when we got there, there was nothing, just a bunch of shovels and a pile of dirt. The bones had been removed to the museum. So it was cool that it once was there, and there's possibly more. But what else do you dig for? Ooh, food. Roots? Carrots? You're digging. You dig to farm. Darcy gave us a great message on the parable of the sower, how the soil needs to be amended. If you didn't hear that, that was an awesome message. Digging the soil up, preparing it, and then digging up the food that you grow is a farmer's job. I have a little garden. It's just starting to come up. But digging in the soil for preparation or harvesting even the root vegetables. Other things that we dig for. I think we've got almost all, but yeah, what? What? Say it really loud. Weeds. Okay, that goes with that soil analogy or parable that you have to remove all the junk out, the little rocks, etc. Well, this man, and we're going to go through the points, but... Um, one of, one of the things that we didn't, you didn't mention, but treasure, there's modern day treasure hunters out there. And there is actually part of the vacation that we went on, we got to go to Virginia City. It was Bob's childhood experience. And I realized, I think my parents had taken me there too. And Virginia City is about what, 40 miles outside of Reno, Nevada. And it is an old, uh, it is one of the biggest gold silver mines in the world as far as how much money has been come or how much dollar amount of 
gold and silver was mined out of there. But the um, they call it the Comstock Lode is part of that era. But Virginia City had this cool um, museum, and then we went down into this mining shaft, and you realized that these guys had to go underground to dig out the treasure. Do you know that even in Job... In the old, one of the oldest books in the Bible, there's reference to digging mines. Mines are not like, uh, you know, a new modern era idea. This is one of the original parts of digging that humanity, uh, experienced. They would dig for gold, silver, iron, treasures, metals that they needed to practically survive with. So, um, yeah, that's what people, people might even dig to bury their dead. Didn't mention that. And there's also digging for foundations. We've, uh, I think one of the parables we referenced that, but many, uh, many references Jesus made to building your foundation on him building. Well, Paul mentioned this building and math and, um, First Corinthians 3.10, just to build with care and build on Jesus. So foundations are also something we have to dig for. Now, I have a shovel up here so that you can understand that I actually use this shovel. So does Bob, but I do too. So uh, this shovel is very important to me. It has a actual dirt and it looks like weeds from my garden. So I dig this. And I move things around. I fill up wheelbarrows for Bob to move. And then I get stuff from side to side of this two acres. It's amazing how in, we've been in this house 23 years, how much dirt we've moved from one. I was not realizing we're moving dirt from here to here, next year, from here to here, here to here. And it's, it's just a, you know, it's just fun to garden and develop and see after all these years what we've grown. Let's look again at the key ideas uh, from this uh, scripture. First, we got a man. So I'm going to kind of break it down into my my um, definition of this and what it looks like to me. But you can um, you can dream your own part of this if you want. Add to it. Um, first of all, we have a man, and he is looking around. And he is going after stuff. He is, maybe he's looking for something to purchase. Maybe he's the next door neighbor to this empty field. We don't really know, but we know that he was looking. And so the man, it represents you and I looking for a purpose and significance in our lives. Our community group met yesterday and we talked about things that, um, why we found Jesus, what were we looking for in that season of our life. And it was really cool to hear from people saying, oh, someone witnessed to me. Uh, I think it was uh, Michael Kingsley was saying that my brother said, you have a hole in your heart. It just pointed to him and he was like, in his 30s. And he said, what? I have a hole in my, like he was thinking his brother was referencing a literal hole. And he goes, no, you have a hole in your heart. Only Jesus can fill, fulfill or fill. And another person shared about how they were looking for purpose and nothing gave them purpose in life. They had found, you know, a wife and had started a family and started a business and was financially successful and suddenly realized, is this all there is? 
this is not giving me a sense of purpose. So they, that person, and it was Jason, he, he was on a search for what is my purpose? Something after making all these achievements is still missing. And so I'm on a search. So the man is you and I looking for a purpose and a significance and an, a meaning to life. The greatest burden I believe that people can carry is living unfulfilled, living without knowing that they have a purpose. And your purpose is not, um, your purpose is not like everybody else's. You can't just go and open the Bible and exactly find it. You might get a spiritual word, but it's, it's really a search. It really is a search. And it, it is a complex search. It involves who God designed you specifically, one of a kind, uniquely to be. And I, I, um, I believe that no matter what your talents, I have a special needs grand, we have a special needs granddaughter, as you know, and she can't walk or talk. She can't sing. Well, she kind of sings, but she doesn't have, um, in the world's economy, she doesn't have a, a contributing gift to her family or to her relationships, but she does. She does. In the, in the spiritual economy, she gives us great joy, great love, and she teaches us so much about loving others without expectation, without a performance mentality. So there's so much I could say about Georgia, but she is, uh, she is a great example to me of that our purpose, our life has great, great value. And it is because Jesus has died for us, but also because he's created us. He's allowed us to have breath because he loves us so much and designed us to just honor and bless him just as we are. So um, to get really into all the details of my pursuit, I was that person just looking for significance. I I was um, 21 years old, 1976, a college student, uh, just having a happy-go-lucky day and realizing that um, I was getting deeper into my own selfish pursuits, going to be like a Jacques Cousteau. I mean, thank God I didn't end up on a boat, you know, out in the middle of the ocean just whale-watching for a living. But God, in his sovereignty, showed up. So number two is a field. And the field is the life and journey we're on when we discover that kingdom of God. Every one of us, every single one of us uh, is seeking to live uh, a life with some kind of significance, uh, uh, just to survive, maybe. Maybe just surviving is your significance right now. But we are called to do so much more than that. I was in this college um, dorm in uh, down in California, Irvine, California. And my, uh, my boyfriend, you know the story, Bob, <laughs> at the time was like going into these deep dives with the Bible and God and Jesus and searching and the letters were getting weirder and weirder. And yes, I've kept them. But one of the things that um, 
uh, happened to me at this time was I'm getting into science. I'm like, I got an explanation for everything because science does that, right? No, it does not explain. In fact, the more you study science, the more you realize you don't know. That's, that's what most scientists and doctors even say because it, the complexity of God's creation and his design is so vast that, it, you know, we'll never discover it all that he has for us to discover until we go to heaven or his he comes again and explains a lot of the mysteries of the universe which i have a list of questions for him but anyway like you know what is dark matter okay things like that yeah but one of the things that um we're looking for we're all looking for and i was looking for is like what makes you know life good what makes life uh, you could use the word significant, but as a 21-year-old, I was just looking for what makes life a party, actually. That was kind of the big pursuit in those days. And so you're looking for relationships. You're trying to fill that hole again with, um, you know, something in, that will um, entertain you, that will make make things interesting and unique. And everything is coming up short in my life. In fact, the more I get stuff and collect stuff, the more, uh, frustrated I'm getting. Um, I have never found a, a literal treasure. And, um, I think that one of the things that in that treasure, that first slide, you know, just the treasure map, the one of the, I, I did actually one time I went with the youth group here at the church years ago, we went to wild waves and I did not want to get in the nasty wave pool. Cause it looked like a hundred kids had already been in there and peed in it. And I just like, no way. But I looked at the wave pool and the youth group was all like, Hey, we come on, Pastor Sue, we got 10 minutes. We're going home. The bus is leaving. You should just get in the water. I'm like, uh, so I get in the wave pool and I step down inside the, the wave pool at Wild Waves. I don't know. Is that place even still there? So I step down and I step on something like slimy and I'm like, great. What is that? I'm just, you can imagine. I reach down cause I'm thinking, and I pull up a hundred dollar bill. I found a hundred dollar bill in the wave pool in the last five minutes. And I'm like, yeah, I found a treasure, a hundred dollars. And so I'm standing, all the kids in the youth group are, you know, around me like, Pastor Sue, what are you going to do with that? And I'm thinking, uh, this is not my hundred dollar bill. And I'm standing in front of a bunch of teenagers. This is a moral lesson right here. This is a spiritual lesson. I must go turn this in to the, uh, the, uh, the, you know, the lost and founds, which I did <sighs> regretfully. I like turn it in. And there's like this 18 year old kid working there, you know, and he's like, you're going to do what? I'm like, well, I found this. Here it is. And like, I could just see it. He probably, and his buddies go, what an idiot. So I like, they probably took it home. I don't know. But that hundred dollar bill, I had to turn it over out of good conscience. I did what I should do, but that was the only treasure I think I've ever found. Um, and it was, yeah, purely by accident. Our story, our finding Jesus is like that field. We're, we're really, this guy wasn't really looking, generally speaking. He was just out there. We don't know what he was doing. He maybe, maybe he was working for somebody and moving rocks around. Uh, they did that, you know, pull the rocks out before you plant the field. Um, maybe he was just on a hike. But 
for me, for my story, and you all need to rehearse your story, I was not particularly looking for Jesus. I knew I had some empty spaces in my life, and I knew I was very getting selfish. And I knew I was looking for self-gratification and maybe some, you know, a college degree and some money. Um, boyfriend, he was cool, you know. He might be one I don't know how many boyfriends, you know, didn't really matter. I wasn't really thinking out my eternity at that point, but God was. God knew me before the foundations of the earth. It says he's really had a plan for me and he has a plan for you before you were even born. He had a design and a plan for you. I love that. And so I wasn't looking for Jesus, but guess what? He was there for me when I needed him. And um, I've told this story, but quickly, he was really um, already setting up the stage. In that dorm, this girl moved in. She was a born-again Jew. She had Bible books coming out of her back, her, her boxes, and she was moving in. And I said, wow, I should read that book someday. And you know what a Christian does when you hear that from an unsaved person. She's like, she does like a whiplash. Yes. Okay. Let's meet Monday. And I'm like, oh dear. Okay. What did I just do? So I committed to meet with her and she did not, I don't even remember if we read the Bible. She took my hands and she said, we're going to pray. Now I'm Catholic. So I know what prayer is, you know, hail Mary, full of grace. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Anyway, I knew all the litany prayers that I had memorized as a kid, but I didn't know praying. I didn't know talking to Jesus. She holds my hand, starts praying for me. And she then she's getting tears in her eyes. And I'm my eyes are wide open, by the way. I'm looking at this person thinking, what in the world is this? And she's talking to God. Now that room filled up with the presence of God. I knew it. I felt something. I didn't know what it was at that point. Fast forward several months. Bob is now sending me really weird letters about the Holy Spirit. Now he's on to the Holy Spirit, which is a whole nother package that I had no idea who or what was going on in his world in Washington. But, you know, letter writing, a few occasional long distance calls. He's telling me, I got saved and I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. And I'm like, and I'm speaking in tongues. I'm like, wow, good for you. What just happened to our boyfriend-girlfriend relationship? This is going to be bad because I did not, I did not fall for you because of your relationship with Jesus. I didn't. I fell for you because you were a crazy wild man that would do really weird, crazy stuff. And you were fun. And this is not fun when you don't understand it. It is not fun when your your boyfriend's saying stuff like, I'm speaking in unknown languages and you're a science major and you're going, what does that mean? What are you saying? And I'm thinking, I don't know even who to ask this question because I thought he made it up, honestly. And when I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, true story, I thought it was a brand new thing. I had never really read the Bible, right? In Catholic churches, they read to you. You don't really ever read it for yourself. And so I like, what? I don't, I know. 
I have no idea what this is. I get filled with the Holy Spirit the day I got saved and they prayed over me and it fell like fire, like heat through my body. And I realized that I had just experienced something out of the science textbook. Like this was not included in what I know. And I realized at that time that something physical just happened to me, but there was nobody to explain this totally to me, except for the, the Anglican priest said, you know, you're going to feel Jesus come over you and his Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. And I, again, the word upon was not in my vocabulary in those days, so I had no idea what was going on. But I knew that I knew that I knew that I had an experience and an encounter with God that day. And when I asked Jesus as my savior, I was not looking for relief from pain. I, I'm, you know, this word today was perfect, but I was not looking for all those things. I was, <laughs> I was accidentally in a field at the right place at the right time. And God did not <laughs> count me as worthy or like, oh, there's one I, he just chose me. It's actually a totally sovereign thing. I have no explanation for how or why he chose me and you, but he did. And he chose you and you found him and he found you. And that field was full of a treasure. There was a treasure there. Um, I knew a guy when I was in high school and I worked in a little snack shop that was really cool. You know, it's like the kind where the girl does everything and closes and counts the money and cleans the grill. It was a nasty job. Paid $1.75 an hour. Okay. That's how old I am. That was minimum wage. But um, when I worked there, there was an old beat beachcomber. And if you don't know what a beachcomber is, they spend their whole life looking with a metal detector for the treasure that's going to set them up. And this was the real guy. He was like disheveled and never washed or bathed. He came in every day for a cup of coffee at the, at the little cafe I worked at. And I go, so what do you do? And he said, well, I'm looking for the diamond, the diamond ring at the beach, and then I'll be set for life. And I'm like 16. I said, you're, you're spending your whole life walking the beach looking for a diamond ring, buddy, go get a job. You know, it'll be a lot easier way to, to, to your, you know, to your wealth and prosperity. But this was the thing he was looking for through the junk. He was looking through the debris that you visualize the beaches of LA, they have tar and seaweed and nasty. And, and he was hoping to get lucky. Now that is not what God has planned for you, that you're going to search through the debris of life and get lucky. No, it's not like that. Jesus has a setup for you. He has got a plan for you. Um, the next one is he bought, this man actually bought that field. So he found the treasure and with joy, it says with joy, he went and he sold everything that he had to obtain that treasure. He sold, let's just guess, he might have sold a donkey. What, did, what would a man in Jesus' day sell that he even had? Maybe he had another field, and now he found a, a field that really had a treasure. Now, why were there treasures? There is a, just to culturally explain, people did not have banks in those days. They did not have a place to store their valuables, so they would bury them. 
bury them. There's actually still treasures out there. I have modern day stories I read about, but people buried their valuables because political unrest, you might not trust the system, uh, to, uh, to, you may, you may not keep this stuff in your home because people would know you had wealth. So they bury them out in a field. And so this must've been a long lost treasure or an abandoned treasure. So he got legal right to buy the field and he sold everything. Now, I don't know what he had to sell. I don't know how much he purchased it for, but I know this. He got a good deal because he was joyful. <laughs> and all you women that get a good deal and a discount, you get something for it. How many, Patty, come on. Patty's the queen of discount. She never buys anything unless it's, it's, it's on sale almost, right? Just about. So I've shopped with her. Many Christmas shopping. Ooh, it'll wear you out. But one of the things that he did is he purchased it with grit and he got that field and it was his and the treasure was amazing. And Jesus tells us that this is the, like the kingdom of heaven. Don't forget that. There's a picture of, of Rembrandt's, um, Rembrandt in the 1600s painted these beautiful oil paintings to a mostly illiterate culture, right? And so this is his painting called the treasure in the field. And this man is this is Rembrandt's uh, uh, rendition, and he's looking off in uh, the art, the art world, or the art critic that I read about was saying, "Oh, you know, there's a city in the background that's probably Jerusalem, or then there's a there's a plant, and that represents eternity." So you can look at symbolism, but all you really need to see is that he had a shovel in this picture, and he had like a little sack of goods that he was traveling with. And he goes and he sees these silver vessels that are full of themselves treasure. We have, I love this scripture. We have this treasure treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power would be of God, not of ourselves. So what is the treasure? The treasure is Jesus in us. It's what he it, Jesus said it's the kingdom of God, but it's him in us, in our lives, expressed through our lives. It's everything. No, it's going to cost you. What is a treasure in the natural? It's something that holds its value because gold holds its value, right? Uh, through generations, the kingdom of Jesus is eternal. So the kingdom of God, this treasure is eternal. Jesus is eternal. You have eternity. When you invite him into your life with him, you have eternity in heaven. What a gift. And I felt that when I got saved, I knew I had just crossed over into a different place. Um, a treasure is something that has power and is useful. You can trade it. It's a commodity. It's something that gives you influence. And we, Jesus kingdom comes with might and power to change our hearts and redeem people. There they a treasure is something that, like gold, it doesn't um, lose its value. It has, it doesn't rust like gold. And it also symbolizes lasting covenant. Like we use gold rings for um, marriage. My husband smashed his. I have to get him a new one here. But he crossfitted his ring off, whatever. Um, this ring represents in a covenant that's lasting with gold that does not oxidize. It doesn't tarnish. And so that has value. Like a pirate would have treasure. A king would have a ransom, a treasure. And these things represented their power. 
and their influence. We have that with Jesus. We have power and influence to do his work, to find a way to accomplish what he has. And then it must cost you something. It requires a sacrifice. So what Jesus has done for us in his death is sacrificed all for us. And then what are you willing? The question is, what are you willing to do to pay and to, you can't pay for what he's done. He's done it for free for you. But what are you willing to give up? That's the cost. And lastly, a treasure is something rare. Treasures are looked for all over the world. There's actually people that are still looking for treasures to, di- to this day. And I, um, I, I don't like dig in my backyard for treasure. I dig for practical reasons. But in my life as a Christian, I'm still searching. I still search. Now, it's really easy to know that I have the gift of eternal life, that I am saved, that I know that I've got a place in heaven with Jesus. But I still search. I'm still on a search. You should still be on a search to find out what is God have for you fully? What are you supposed to be doing for him? What has he got planned for you that he designed? And what is your, um, what is your purpose on this earth? You still need to look, look and ask, ask God. I think you have to have a passion, just like the man in the field. You have to have a passion to look And I want to stir you up. Keep on asking God, what do you want to do with me? We had the Mots over for dinner. They're Romanian. They lived in Romania during um, communism. And now they're, you know, they've been part of our church for many years now. I love their stories. They were telling you about a story of a little village of people that had nothing. They lived in abject poverty. The children did not even have shoes. And when they go, they're leaving next week for their annual trip to Romania. They take literal crates of shoes and clothing for children and goods for families there. I was so, I was so excited to hear their passion and their plan. So they have a passionate plan to find out what God wants to do each year when they go back to Romania and to bless the people there and share Jesus with them. Um, and it takes sacrifice. It does take, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you some time. going to cost you giving up something. You got to sell something. When I got saved, hey, I knew that my my former party life in the dorms was about to come to a screeching halt. I knew, nobody told me, but I knew that my, self, my selfish living was going to destroy me. And I, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit, that mysterious Holy Spirit that filled me and gave me the gift of tongues. I didn't even know what it was. I just started speaking in tongues. Nobody explained it. But what happened was I started a great search for what is the rest of this look like? What do you have? The stuff I was doing is no longer entertaining. It's actually starting to irritate me. I want to find out what God has for me. And you also, you must have a passionate plan for the search and the discovery. You must sacrifice something for that va- those valuables that God has for you. Jesus has planned for you. So, amen. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. Thank you for letting me share. But God has a supernatural plan for you. 
Um, let's stand as we worship, and I want to pray over you really quick. Lord, I just pray as we close this word today and that that, that treasure that some of us are still wondering, what is it, Jesus, that you have for me? It's you, Jesus. It's you in us. It's absolutely you and the power of the Spirit that resides in us. And God, I pray that you would make that real today to everyone here. They would understand that Jesus, reveal yourself completely. Reveal yourself. Show up in them this morning. Show your power to them. Show your presence to them. Show your word to them. Show your direction. Lord, because you love them so much that you put the treasure in each and every one of us. Amen.